Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. Bob Irving in studio breaks down what to look for in the preseason opener for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers against Edmonton Friday night. Also, we'll talk to Jen Stark, Tourism Winnipeg's Volunteer of the Year for the work she does with mods. What is that? Tune in to find out. And Leah Hextall stops by to break down the Stanley Cup final and the latest move in the NWHL as they move closer to having one league. It's kind of murky right now. That's all on the podcast. And let's just get right into our top story, which is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are taking on the Edmonton Eskimos in preseason action tomorrow night at IG Field. Not Investors Group Field anymore, Bob Irving. you got to make sure you say it right when you open the broadcast tomorrow. Well, you're tempted to call it Ig Field, but I, I don't think that's what they the, want, na- they don't want that. the naming rights people don't want that, neither do the Blue Bombers, but no. I'll get it down, IG, but I'm sure at some point I'll call it Investors oh, Group. Oh, I've called it that so many times, even yeah. I've got IG Field written there, Yeah, because it's just a shorthand. How excited are you for another season to get going? Well, you know, training camp is, after a while, it kind of it drags, right? It drags for everybody, the the media, the spectators, the players, and the coaches. So I think everybody around the team is anxious to see them play, see some of these young guys they've brought in here, Christian, uh, play, whether or not they look as good in a game as they do in practice or vice versa. Maybe right. haven't looked so good in camp, but when the lights go on, they, they turn it up because those things always happen. So I'm anxious to to take a look. Chris Trevler is going to start at quarterback instead of we're not going to see Matt Nichols it's tomorrow. It's not really a big deal. No, I don't think so. And I think part of it is that uh, they've got at least two of their starting offensive linemen who won't be playing and maybe a third. So, um, yeah, you don't want to put your number one quarterback out there against a team that has a bunch of hungry young guys trying to make an impression, right. who may take a shot or whatever. Uh, and Matt Nichols will play in Regina next week, apparently, but it'll be great to see Streveler. You know, I think we're all going to be watching him with interest mm-hmm. this year whenever he gets a chance. And then Brian Bennett and Shane McGuire, the third quarterback who I've watched all through camp. He's got an outstanding arm. So, you know, I'm curious, and the coaches are curious to see how these guys perform when the lights go on. But... It's more so important this game for basically everyone that isn't the quarterbacks, right? Oh yeah, the 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 receivers. There's I think six Americans who, maybe seven, who have all at various times looked really good. Kenny Lawler is leading the pack for that one spot that's up for grabs, uh, but at least uh, two or three others will be kept around. And then you've got the return part of it, where Lucky Whitehead and Charles Nelson from last year, and I spoke with Mike Jones yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's a rookie defensive back. And I wasn't aware of his credentials from university and understanding it's a Division three school, but he had a career 21-yard, get the 21-yard punt return average. Bombers would love that. <laughs> Not a kickoff, but a punt return <laughs> yeah. average. So I don't care what you play, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, there's guys like that that now are going to get a chance to show the coaches and the kick return part of it in practice. You just you can't show no. that. Only in a game. Now, Whitehead, Christian, he's got incredible speed. I mean, he can flat out fly. So, yeah, that's going to be fun to watch tomorrow night. And defensively, how many positions are available? How, what are what are the spots you're looking at to see who can make yeah. an impact? Well, there's two in the secondary in particular. And, and so the people back there, the safety battle is really up in the air. Uh, and the two corner spots, well, I think Chandler Fenner is going to get one of them. And then the other one, Winston Rose, was leading the, the race there. But he's been hurt the last five or six days. He hasn't practiced, and that's always a setback for a player. 
and gives others a chance. But to he was move. brought he was brought in to be a player. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he's got a bit of an edge because he's got experience. But you know, if somebody else steps up and and you know pushes him aside, that, that can happen uh, during the preseason. The linebackers are set. Kyrie Wilson's going to re- replace Javon Santos Knox. The D line is it's going to be very good. They're going to have to decide you know, who they're going to keep there because I don't think they can keep them all. But, boy, they're loaded in that area. And then the offensive line, you know this, the center and right guard mm-hmm. spots are are still up in the air and will be probably till after that second preseason game. That's when the coaches will say, okay, here's who we're going with in game one. So you mentioned the injuries on the offensive line. Yeah. Who are we going to see tomorrow? Well, Jamarcus Hardrick won't play. And, of course, Pat Newfeld's been out all of camp. Uh, I don't know how much Stanley Bryant's going to play. He's, uh, you know, he's didn't practice the last. And he's two a veteran, days. yeah, right? and he didn't practice the last two days, so uh, he may not play a lot. Um, then you've got uh, guys like Cody Speller and uh, Couture who are battling for that center spot. Jeff Gray at right guard. They're going to get lots of playing time. They brought some new American alignment in on the weekend. Christian Tanner Farmer, uh, Israel Helms, J- Jamar McGloster. And I know they want to take a real good look at those guys because they need somebody to replace Manasseh Fichetti as the backup American. Or if they decide to start three Americans on the O-line, it'll have to be one of those guys. So, right. And then there's two others who've been here all of camp. Uh, uh, I'm looking for their names. Chauncey Briggs. And uh, who's the other one? I'm drawing a blank. Delroy Baker. He's been taking a lot of reps. I think he's going to start at okay. one of the tackle spots in the game tomorrow. And you mentioned it in one of your reports. There's 80-something players suiting mm-hmm. up for the Bombers tomorrow night. Yeah, They're all going to play? <laughs> well, most of Other them Other than will, Nichols? Yeah, most of them will get in. Uh, the Winnip- There's three Winnipeg Rifles who are all going to dress, uh, and it'll be fun to see if they get in the game. I know Michael Shea's going to try to get them in. Mm-hmm. The uh, global players, right. my understanding is, will all get on the field for okay. sure. Now, how long any of them will play, I don't know. I think Ortiz, the kicker, is going to do some kicking. So it'll be curious to watch how, yeah. how that goes. But I would say of the 80, give or take, who dress, the vast majority, vast majority will get into the game. How does that change your job as a play-by-play guy? It's a nightmare. Are you familiar with the word nightmare? <laughs> yes. And it's it's not so bad with the Bombers, Christian. I've been watching them for almost two weeks, and I've got a lot of the numbers in, in my mind now. But Edmonton has brought uh, a roster of players, most of whom will not be on their team. And this is their last preseason uh, this game. This is their second and last preseason game. So uh, it'll be fun trying to identify them, but it never <laughs> changes from year to year. It's always the same, and you just, you know, you do your best, and and uh, it'll work out. Doug will be there with me to hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be there on the sidelines. I know you will. Yeah, you'll be there too. Sure. Any advice for me? No, enjoy it down there. It's fun. Uh, you know, anybody who does the sideline reporting, it's a different world down there because you're right by the bench mm-hmm. and you hear and see stuff that uh, that we can't see from where we are. So it's an it's an interest. It's a bit of a jungle at times down there. Finally, from a fan standpoint, what is there really to take away from a preseason game? What should you be watching for if you're a fan or listening for? Well, first of all, you shouldn't put any stock in the the final result, and it's easy for me to say that. And I know fans are fans, and they want to see the Bombers win, and so does Michael Shea. But the outcome of the game really is insignificant. So then you're watching to see who's going to be the number three quarterback. You know, how's Chris Trevler going to play? Is he going to light it up tomorrow? And if he does, boy, that, uh, you know, again, shoots him. He's not going to start, but it certainly raises his stock as the season goes along. And then those areas we talked about, and it's hard for people to watch the offensive line. It's very difficult for them to sort that out as they watch a game. But these receivers, the kick returners, you know, those are the people going to bring you out of your seat tomorrow night. 
And then the cuts come this weekend? No, I don't think so. I asked uh, Mike O'Shea about that. I said, you're going to make some cuts after the game? He said, probably not. Okay. They'll take uh, 50 or 60 guys to Regina for that second preseason game next Thursday. And then two days after that is when they have to get their their roster down. So I don't believe they'll make uh, many, if any, after this game. So this is just uh, the... I mean, it's so t- tough to do it in a practice setting to really yeah. get your, the full look at somebody, right? Well, you want to give as many players as you can the full two games, right, to, to show what. And after this game tomorrow night, there will still be some unanswered questions, and so mm-hmm. you hope you get the answers in Regina. But uh, there are no players in this group who have demonstrated that they don't belong here. And so Mike O'Shea is reluctant to send anybody home until they get a second chance. All right, 5.30 p.m. tomorrow night, the pregame show begins. Yes, sir. Doug Brown, Ed Tate will join us. Danny McManus is going to drop by for a visit. You'll hear lots of voices. Awesome, Bob. Look forward to it. Thanks for coming into the studio. You bet. All right. Earlier this year, Winnipegger Jen Stark was honored as a finalist for the Sport Event Volunteer of the Year Award by the Canadian Sport Tourism Alliance for her work with Ultimate competitions in Manitoba. Did not win, but still awesome to be nominated. Final three. And then earlier in May at the Winnipeg Tourism Awards, she was named their Volunteer of the Year for her role in hosting the World Masters Ultimate Club Championship here in Winnipeg. Awesome stuff. And Jen joins us now on the sports show. Jen, how does all this feel? Um, honored. Like, I feel absolutely honored. Um, overwhelmed. Shocked. Uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So I'm I'm absolutely thrilled. And obviously, this isn't you know why you volunteer, right? You're not doing it for the recognition. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. No, I didn't even expect this. This is this is completely a shock. So I'm I'm thrilled, but it, again, it's a complete shock. So how long have you been volunteering with MOD? So that's the Manitoba Organization of Disc Sports. Yeah, um, I have probably been volunteering with them for about uh, 20 years now, or at least over 20 years. So I started, actually, I started off with them in 1997. I was their summer student uh, when I was doing my phys ed degree. And uh, then I got hooked on the sport and started playing, and then I just started volunteering from there. And yeah, so it's been a long time. Yeah, what was it about disc sports that kind of got you hooked? Oh, um, so I played other sports in high school, but then when I started to play disc sports, I just, I love that we were outside. I love the physicality of the sport. Um, I love the community. Honestly, if it was anything, if I had to name one thing, it was the community that, uh, that hooked me. So yeah. And I still play to this day and absolutely love it. Are you playing ultimate? Are you playing disc golf? What is it that you're mostly doing? I'm, I play ultimate, so I still do play ultimate frisbee, um, and I'm just learning how to play disc golf now. I was actually learning a little bit over the winter, so I'm, I'm getting excited to start playing disc golf as well. So what kind of techniques can you take from ultimate and apply to disc golf? Cool, well, that I don't know. Um, I'm not that good at disc golf yet. Okay. Um, I've learned that the, the discs are different, um, oh, okay. and it's, it's, it's different. It's not the same sport, but... Um, and even throwing the, fr- throwing the Frisbee and throwing a disc golf disc is, is different. So I'm not sure that the skills are completely transferable, but I mean, there is a little bit because you're still throwing a Frisbee, right? right? Or a disc, I guess you could say. How yeah. much has the, I guess, the community changed, but also the participation numbers changed since you started volunteering 20 years ago? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, when I started volunteering or when I ran the league 20 years ago, I think we had a total of 42 teams. Um, I couldn't tell you how many teams we have now, but we used to only play on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you only played for um, 
one one team. And now they have like a Monday night league, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And there's multiple teams that play every single night of the week. So it has grown exponentially since I have started playing. Um, we used to know everybody in the league. We used to all go out to the same place afterwards and everybody would know everybody. And now it's, it's grown so much that, um, yeah, you can't possibly know everybody who plays. It's exciting. I bet it is. And how, how does that make you feel seeing this sport just grow and explode? Um, I'm thrilled. I mean, I I spend most of my time volunteering as a coach um, because Ultimate is my passion, and I want to share that passion um, with the kids that I was teaching. And uh, so watching them play and watching them now be in the league, so it's kind of fun because I get to play against some of my former students and and seeing some of them go on and play, like, at the national and international and even professionally. Um, It's just it's over like it's it's amazing it's amazing to see that and i'm so proud of so many of the the people that continue to play and one of the reasons why you were honored with this volunteer award nomination is the hosting of the world masters ultimate championship earlier in winnipeg how did that go for you um it was an amazing experience um it was uh, it was challenging i'm not going to say that it didn't have its challenges but it was absolutely one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, it was uh, it was a great way to bring the community together. Like I am so thankful for so many people that uh, I got to work with during that event. Um, like each member of the tournament organizing committee, they were absolutely amazing. All the volunteers that I got to work with and seeing their smiling faces and hearing their stories. I dealt mostly with the scorekeepers, so they were um, juniors and they would come um, come and see me after as they were handing in their kits and tell us great stories that they, they had had throughout the day. I had two amazing um, people that I got to work with side by side. Uh, one's name is Carrie and the other is Dean. And they were, they were the managers that I got to work with. And they were absolutely um, a pleasure to work with. And um, yeah, so it was uh, the thing I liked the most about it was how all the people came together and, and got the job done, um, despite some of the obstacles that we had to face. How many volunteers were part of putting that on? Oh my goodness. I think that it was like 300 ish, but I don't have a number sitting in, in front of me. Um, maybe, yeah, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of a my lot, head. Though. Oh, I know there was a lot. Like I know there, there definitely was a lot of volunteers. Maybe it could be like 150. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I just know like with our volunteers, with the juniors, there was a significant portion, like about a hundred or so at least, at least I wasn't in charge of all the volunteers. Um, but I definitely was um, I was working with the juniors that were doing the scorekeeping and then the adults who were doing the scorekeeping as well. I take it that volunteerism is kind of the backbone of the ultimate community. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, and I mean, you have to be passionate about it. And there's a lot of people that put a lot of time and a lot of energy into growing the sport. There's tons of coaches out there. Um, there's tons of people for any of the events that we have to do. I mean, we do have a couple employees, but I mean, a lot of it has to be um, a lot of the stuff that we do is with volunteers. So what does your summer look like? What does my summer look like? Um, well, I, I'm a teacher, so I, I do have the two months off, um, but I've just uh, signed a contract with Ultimate Canada. So I will be going out to Brampton and acting as their competition director out there. So um, similar to what I was doing um, at Worlds, just at the at the national level here in Canada. So That sounds like a pretty big that's deal. That's fun. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, maybe next year I'll take my summer off. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I'll get to learn a lot, and I am learning a lot. I'm in the process now. Of, it's not the exact same role, but um, it's another challenge, and I'm ready to face it. Well, Jen, so. well, Jen I wish you the best of luck in that. Congratulations again on this, and uh, thanks again for joining me tonight. All right. Thank you very much. Leah Hextall, a Thursday night visit, a rare Thursday visit, because I don't got a show tomorrow because the Bombers game. How are you doing tonight, Leah? I'm good, and yeah, what a great reason not to have a show tomorrow because you're going to be watching the Bombers as they get it going. Absolutely. I'll be down on the sidelines. I got a great view, so it'll be perfect. But we've... I heard you asking uh, I heard you asking the living legend, as I call him, uh, Mr. Irving, about some advice, and he gave you none. That's correct. That's okay. <laughs> I'll, I've done it once before. I can figure it out. You'll be just fine. You'll love it. So your thoughts on last night's game, too. Was that one of the most physical road games you've ever seen a team play in the playoffs? I just think it was a really physical game overall. But, yeah, Christian, that definitely was. You You want to talk about black and blue. I'm sure there's some Bruins players that were feeling it today. That was, to me, I really enjoyed last night's game for a multitude of reasons. But I think the biggest part was because it was almost like a throwback game. It was very physical. Everyone was finishing their checks. There was no letting off the gas. But I think the big piece there, Christian, when you look at how the Blues were able to pull this one out, yes, they did it in overtime, so they just squeaked one out. But it was a huge win for them on the road to even that series. But what I loved about it is there was always a response. Charlie Coyle scores, then Robert Bertuzzo does. Joachim Nordstrom scores for Boston. Then Tarasenko comes up with a big goal as he continues on his eight, nine-game point streak that he's on right now. And then they get it done in OT. And what an overtime it was for the Blues. And scoring that OT goal on the delayed penalty with Ryan O'Reilly out there as the extra man as Bingington went off due to that penalty. And then Gunnarsson just of all people. lighting the lamp and away you go. Exactly. And uh, we heard Craig Rube talking today that, you know, a lot of people were thinking, why was Gunnarsson out there in overtime? Because it hasn't been spectacular for him as of late, but he told his coach he needed one shot. And apparently he did need one shot. Yeah, it's going to be one of those playoff legend stories where they were in the, I think they were in the urinals. And he he said to the coach, hey, give me one more shot. <laughs> and he did. Here we are and today. he did. There you go. So <laughs> how, of the mind. Does this, does this change at all the outlook of the series? Or was it always going to be a, a back and forth battle? You know, I think, you know, you know that I've gone back and forth and I sit here and people keep saying, you know, prior to who's going to win. And one day it was the Bruins for me. The next day it was the Blues, depending on who I watch, because they're both so good. But I just think that this makes it even harder to think who has the edge, because what I noticed from the Blues last night, what they were able to do is that perfection line of, you know, Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak, we saw Brad Marchand getting a little bit unglued. We saw the Blues managing to get to some of their star players. I mean, Pat Maroon was just speaking at Bacchus on the bench. I mean, the back and forth between these teams, I think this is going to get really, really nasty, this series. And to me, Christian, I think that plays into the Blues' favor. I think if they can continue to knock the Bruins off of their finesse game and they keep coming at them and they punish them physically, I think that will to the Blues. And I think it's truly the physicality may be the key to how they win the Stanley Cup. And the first real bad hit we saw in the series was Oscar Sundquist last night hitting Matt Grizzlick into the boards from behind, a hit that didn't need to happen. Uh, it did seem like Sunquist kind of went out of his way to do it. He gets two minutes on the play. Grizzlick is in concussion protocol now. The hearing will be held for Sunquist. We don't know yet if he'll be suspended. What do you think should happen? 
Well, you know, it's so interesting because just hearing your perspective of it, saying a hit that doesn't need to be need to happen. And I think that's where this is so interesting is that when we see multiple views of that hit, we can sit here as an audience and go, yeah, well, you know, Sunquist probably should have controlled his body more, held up, tried to do the right thing. But at the same time, if you're on the ice in that moment, I mean, to me, that's a player in the Stanley Cup final of game two on the road finishing their check and the other player put themselves in a vulnerable position. And, you know, I've heard so many different perspectives of this hit and I really don't know. I look at it and when I see all the different angles, I go, Ooh, that's a bad hit. But then when I see it in real time in the moment when that call's made, I think to myself, you know what? He was making a DDD pass behind the net, his head moved. And we talk about this. Players also have to be responsible for how they position themselves on the ice and that sense of awareness. So I really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the fact that the officials saw that Grizzly was injured, knew that it was probably pretty serious, and still only gave a two-minute for boarding. Let's remember, they could have given a five-minute major and a game misconduct, and they chose not to. I mean, do the, is it because it's the Stanley Cup final and they think, well, we don't want to put a five-minute major on the board? I don't know. But for me, I don't know if they're going to get a suspension for it. I think that Sunquist might skate away with this. How important is Game 3 for the Blues Saturday night? You know, it's one of those things where it almost feels like it's that Game 5 when the series is tied at 2. Or, yeah, when the series is tied at 2, that's the right math. And the winner of Game 5 usually goes on, you know, over 70% of the time to win the series. And I think that Game 3 is really pivotal for the Blues because it's a chance to build off of what they did in Game 2 and to do it at home and to really engage their fans. I mean, it's a chance, Christian, for you to hear Gloria so many more times. And I know how much you love that. So mm. I, uh, I really, I, I think it... I Not think, yet. <laughs> Get it out of here. No! <laughs> I, I love that that's the soundtrack of your life now. I but know. I My nightmares. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it is a pivotal game. But, you know, it's one of those things that no matter who wins that game or loses, the next game, as we saw last night in game two, the losing team can come back and respond. And uh, just like the Blues did last night. I will say this, though. Bingington, those two goals, he's mm. lucky that his, his – it was the first time we've really seen his team save him yeah. and not the other way around in these playoffs because those two goals through the five hole, those were not good goals. And I really think he probably would have been given a few stick taps to his teammates last night because uh, that goal was that win was definitely not because of their goaltender. Just so you know, uh, in a series tied at one, the winner of game three, if it's the home team, goes on to win 60, 63% of the time. If the away team wins it, they go on to win 72% of the time. Wow. So a bigger so deal for so the Bruins. There it is. Yeah. So, it is. Uh, so let's, there's another story I want to talk to you about today. Just saw this come across the wire not long ago. Uh, the NWHL canceling plans to add a pair of Canadian teams for the 2019-20 season for now and making it clear it is open for doing what's best for women's hockey. I'm reading this from the Associated Press. Even if that means a new league, NWHL made it clear in a post on its website titled, quote, we'll always do what's best for the game that league officials would be happy to talk. Your reaction to this? Who are they talking to? The NHL has made it very clear that until there is no other league, they will not get involved. So the fact of the matter is there is no partner coming. If you are looking, if you are Danny Ryland, the commissioner of the NWHL, and you think that 
the NHL is going to come in and partner with your league, you are mistaken. They have made it very clear. And you know, Christian, this comes a week after we were just talking that the NWHLPA signed a one-year deal with the league for increased salaries, benefits, and 50-50 partnership of pretty much sponsorships and hockey-related revenue. One week later, look at the change. Look at the tune. I think the writing is on the wall for the NWHL, and this is the last grasp. If they are going to do what's best for the game, as the 200-plus players have stated, as the New Jersey Devils walking away from the league, as the Pagula family turning the Buffalo Buttes back over to the NWHL, if they want to do what's good for the game, like they are stating on their website, you need to fold your league. And that's just the bottom line. So they can ask for partners to come. Maybe one will come, but it will not be the NHL until there is no other option. And that's where we are right now. So is NWHL Commissioner Danny Ryland kind of the one barrier to everything being solved? You know, I I wouldn't put it that way. I, I have to say this. Danny Ryland, I don't know her personally. I've heard different things from different people in their dealings with her. But at the end of the day, I truly believe that she was trying to build a league for women's hockey because she has a love for it. I do believe in a certain way when she, when they, when she states, we want to do what's best for the game. She does believe it, but she's as a businesswoman put her own money into this league. So listen, I think we all can understand that she would rather have somebody come to her and say, listen, we'll buy out your league so that it goes away so that at least she gets some sort of return on it. That's just me guessing because, I mean, she has put a lot of her own money into this league. And, you know, when you do stuff like that and make financial contributions, you'd like to see some sort of return on it. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that she's the barrier, but I also don't think she's doing anything right now to make it better. Well, it's kind of the ongoing saga. There's something every week, but <laughs> it's it, it, we're eventually going to get to the point where there, there's one league, right? Eventually, it's going to happen. I was about to say that, Christian. I, you know what? When I saw this today, I thought, now we're cooking with gas. And I just, I feel like the players' voices and the fact that so many of them are pressing, 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 that the writing is on the wall to the NWHL. They cannot expand. I, I know that there was talks of some of the networks in Canada wanting to pick up games and show games um, if the NWHL expanded into Canada when the CWHL folded. But I think that changed with the networks after the players came out and said, we're boycotting. Because if you show these games, then what are you doing? You're going pretty much against the players. So I think some of these options that perhaps the NWHL thought they had with expansion and TV deals, et cetera, have disappeared since those 200 women came out and said, we need one league. And I, I truly believe that I, I know this doesn't look positive to people, but I do believe this is a positive step. All right, Leah, we'll uh, talk to you again on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see what the standing club final is, is after uh, game four. Well, you have your statistics now, so we'll just yes. have to see. As Gloria plays in a loop in my nightmares. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?